Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. It has been uh, a few days since I have delivered a new podcast, but that's because I'm still letting my voice rest up here before I go on Coast to Coast AM, which will be this coming Friday night. Um, that cold I had really took a toll on my voice, but I've been getting a lot of writing done. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just finished writing the foreword to a new book coming out later this year by my friend Marla Hardy Milling, and uh, it's a really good one. It's called Wicked Asheville, and it is about all kinds of sordid and seedy stories related to the history of Asheville, which is not something you hear about every day because it's not the kind of thing that you would necessarily print in a tourism brochure, but uh, Marla is a native of Asheville like I am, and she's done a really good job of collecting some great stories, so keep an eye out for that, and I'll let you know when uh, Wicked Asheville is going to be released. But uh, I have a story I want to share with you here that I find especially fascinating, and uh, I'll be surprised if you've heard about this. Um, When I was a kid, growing up reading all these books about mysterious places, uh, occasionally I would come across a story about the moving coffins of Barbados. And this is one of those stories that's so weird, it's hard to know what category to put it into. Um... Now, of course, I'm joining you here from Puerto Rico, and Barbados is another island here in the Caribbean. So if you go east of Puerto Rico, there is this chain of islands that kind of curves down to the southeast of Puerto Rico uh, toward uh, Venezuela and South America. And one of those islands at the bottom of that chain is Barbados. And as it turns out, today, my great friends, Investigator Shelley Wright and Investigator Patricia DeMint, are in Barbados. And um, it's funny because it's one of those places that I've wanted to go to for many years, and I've just never gotten around to it. But it turns out that Shelley and Patty are on a two-week cruise right now, and they're visiting all kinds of cool spots here in the Caribbean. And they even popped by... Ponce, Puerto Rico a few days ago. So I got to uh, meet them at the port and Lauren and I hung out with them and we just had a great time. So I'm a little jealous that uh, they have continued their journey and that they are today, or at least have been today, in Barbados. And I told them, I said, man, if I had a day to spend in Barbados, I would head straight to the cemetery there and uh, I think it's called the Christ Church Cemetery. Uh, yep, Christ Church Parish Church. Um, and I would go to the old Chase Vault where this story takes place. Now let me explain to you, I guess in my own words, what this is all about. And then uh, I'll get more specific. Basically, uh, the cemetery there in Barbados... It's an old one. I mean, it goes back uh, at least the 1700s. And it, it's up on a cliff, and it kind of overlooks the Caribbean Sea. And there is this family vault that is sort of buried half underground there 
for this very prominent family called the Chase family. And over the years, whenever a member of the family would die, they would go to great lengths to remove this big, heavy slab sealing the vault. And when they would go inside to bring in the the newest member of the family, they were always shocked to find that the other coffins inside were in absolute disarray. I mean, sometimes they would be propped up uh, vertically along the wall. They would be upside down. Uh, Sometimes they'd be stacked on top of each other. And these coffins are made out of lead. I'm not sure if you've ever picked up a lead box before. It's incredibly heavy. Um, I have a compass that was used in World War II that is extremely radioactive. Back in those days, they they didn't understand a lot about radioactivity, you know, and so sometimes they would take radium and paint things like compass needles and watch hands and stuff with it so that it would glow in the dark. But uh, what they didn't realize was that, well, this is exposing the wearer of this compass or watch to an enormous amount of radiation. And so I had one of these compasses that my grandfather brought back from World War II and then gave to my father, and my father gave it to me, and I took that damn thing camping on a number of occasions and carried it in my pocket, and then finally I bought my first Geiger counter, and uh, when I held it up to this thing, it sounded like popcorn, you know, pop, 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 pop. I couldn't believe how radioactive this thing was. And at that time, Lauren was working for a company that had a machine shop. And one of the guys there had a lot of creativity and a little too much time on his hands. And so she commissioned this fella to make a special lead box just for me to store this compass in. And the box was not that big. It was probably about the size of a large matchbox. Um, you know, just big enough for you to put a compass in. And uh, my goodness, that thing was so heavy. It's, I don't even know how many pounds it was, but I think about how heavy that little box was. And it's hard for me to imagine how heavy an entire lead casket or coffin would be, especially as well-made as things were back in those days. So this went on for years. Uh, All throughout the 1900s, they'd open up this vault, and they would find these uh, coffins in disarray. And no other coffins in the area were disturbed. There was no sign of an earthquake or anything like that. There was no sign of any type of water leaking in. Uh, As a matter of fact, they said you could see that the the dust on the ground was not disturbed. There were no footprints. There was no indication of water swirling in. Um, There was just no explanation for this. So let me give you a little more detail about specifically what was reported. First, the Wikipedia article says um, that the... uh, the, the family there, the Chase family, was, well, they were wealthy, but a lot of people in the community did not like them because they were pretty ruthless toward their slaves. So keep that in mind. But it says here, um, when the vault was opened in late 1812 for the burial of Thomas Chase, the caskets of the Chase girls, which were already inside, were said to be found, quote, in a confused state, having been apparently tossed from their places. Uh, it says, uh, when the vault was later opened, 
quote, to receive the body of another infant, the four coffins, all of lead, all very heavy, were much disturbed. It goes on to say, quote, each time the vault was opened, the coffins were replaced in their proper situations. That is, three on the ground side by side, and the others laid on them. The vault was then regularly closed. The door, a massive stone which required six or seven men to move, was cemented by masons. And though the floor was of sand, there were no marks of footsteps or water. The last time the vault was opened was in 1819. Lord Cumbermere was then present, and the coffins were found confusedly thrown about the vault, some with their heads down, others up. What could have caused this phenomenon? In no other vault on the island has there ever been such an occurrence. Um, there's also a really interesting write-up about this on the website mysteriousuniverse.org. A little more detail. It says the Chase Family Vault is a burial vault located on a hill overlooking the Caribbean at the entrance to the Christ Church Parish Cemetery, an ancient colonial cemetery. The vault was built half-sunken into the ground and is constructed out of compacted blocks of the coral that makes up much of the island's foundations, as well as concrete. The vault is entered via descending stone steps and sealed by an enormous slab of blue marble that reportedly required six or seven men to move. So this article goes through these uh, occasions when they would open the place up and, uh, and see... Uh, all of this disarray. And now I'm going to fast forward. This is pretty interesting. Getting back to the governor. It says, The phenomena caught the attention of the governor of Barbados at the time, Lord Cumbermere, who had been present at Clark's funeral and had witnessed the bizarre occurrence for himself. He ordered a thorough and extensive inspection of the tomb to look for any evidence to explain the strange happenings. The governor's wife explained the investigation thus, quote, In my husband's presence, every part of the floor was sounded to ascertain that no subterranean passage or entrance was concealed. It was found to be perfectly firm and solid. No crack was even apparent. The walls, when examined, proved to be perfectly secure. No fracture was visible and the sides, together with the roof and flooring, presented a structure so solid as if formed of entire slabs of stone." Now listen to this. After the examination of the vault, the displaced coffins were all restored to their original positions with great effort, and measures were taken to ensure that such a thing would not happen again. The governor had the marble slab completely sealed with mortar and additionally put impressions of his own signet ring into the wet cement to discourage vandals. As an extra precautionary measure, the floor of the tomb was dusted with the fine white sand in order to capture evidence of anyone breaking into it once again to defile the coffins. When eight months had passed, the governor's curiosity got the better of him and he ordered the vault to be reopened, just to be sure. When he arrived with a party of men at the tomb, he was relieved to see that the mortar sill was unbroken. The ring impressions were intact, and there was no sign of trespassing. Satisfied that no one had broken in, a sort of macabre curiosity nevertheless compelled the governor to have the vault opened anyway. Immediately, it became apparent that something was awry. Oddly, 
Thomas Chase's coffin had been thrown up against the marble entrance almost as if in an attempt to bar entry. It took many men to dislodge the heavy coffin and finally gain entry, and what they found inside completely shocked all present. The coffins were once again in disorder, only this time evidently more violently than on previous occasions. Some of the coffins were described as being upended and tossed upon each other, and the infant, Mary Ann's coffin, had been smashed against the wall with such force that a chunk had broken off the corner. Eerily, the coating of white sand upon the floor was completely undisturbed, with not a single footprint to be seen. There was no sign of flooding or any other disruption either. The sand, floor, and walls were totally dry. Additionally, it seemed unlikely that a perpetrator could have escaped past the large coffin that had been blocking the door, even if they had somehow managed to get in without breaking the seal of the door, or even managed to budge the door at all to begin with. One man, Nathan Lucas, was a member of the Barbados House Assembly at the time. He was present, and here's what he said about the strange scene unfolding before him. He said, quote, I examined the walls, the arch, and every part of the vault, and found every part old and similar. And the mason in my presence struck every part of the bottom with his hammer, and all was solid. I confess myself at a loss to account for the movements of these leaden coffins. Thieves certainly had no hand in it. And as for any practical wit or hoax, too many were requisite to be trusted with the secret for it to remain unknown. And he goes on to say, All I know is that it happened, and that I was an eyewitness of the fact. You know, it turns out that upon witnessing this, the governor was so disturbed, he went about ordering for the interred bodies to be buried separately in individual graves throughout the Christ Church Parish Cemetery. The Chase Vault itself was ordered to remain vacant, and no further bodies were ever buried there. It remains empty to this day. So you can imagine, if and when I make it to Barbados, I'll be doing whatever I can to go into that vault and just see if there's anything outstanding from my point of view. Now I will tell you that if you go down the list of things that are common explanations for something like this, not that anything's really common, but if you look at something again like earthquake, that doesn't make sense to me because nothing else was disturbed. And plus, these things were highly disturbed. Even if you get into something like, okay, this was some resonant chamber, and occasionally some earth frequency would create some tone, I still don't think it could shift these coffins around like that. There obviously was no indication of water getting in there. No reason to think a person had gotten in there. I'm telling you, if I go down the checklist, it really seems a lot to me like this is something of a truly spiritual nature. And uh, when, I, when I talk about spiritual power, I'm talking about the power that created mountains and oceans to begin with. There is no limit to spiritual power. And it's hard to imagine anything else that could have created that. 
Now, I will tell you, when you read the Wikipedia article, I was surprised by a skeptical opinion that's listed here that I'd never heard about before. It says, skeptical investigator Joe Nickel contended that the story was fashioned around the Masonic allegory of a secret vault, which, according to a Masonic text, was in the ancient mysteries symbolic of death where alone divine truth is to be found. Nickel wrote that two of the men named in the Chase Vault story were members of the ancient free and accepted Masons, and that a similar tale of restless coffins was circulated in 1943 that specifically included a party of Freemasons in a vault containing the founder of Freemasonry in Barbados. Nickel noted that the Chase Vault stories were loaded with symbols and phrases which Freemasons would have recognized. Well, I tell you folks, you may or may not know this, but I myself am a Freemason. I am a Master Mason, and I'm a member of two different Blue Lodges, Mount Hermon and Veritas in Asheville. I also am a 32nd degree in the Scottish Rite, and I am a Knights Templar in the York Rite, and those are appendant bodies. So I'm very familiar with Masonic stories and allegory, and I can tell you that uh, this is hogwash. I have never heard or come across anything in the lore of Freemasonry like they are attributing to Joe Nickel here regarding this story. So that's just uh, ridiculous. I don't know where that came from, but I can tell you that yeah, you know, there's some stuff in Freemasonry about vaults and tombs, but nothing that would relate to this in any way whatsoever. So I was pretty excited to see if uh, Shelley and Patty were going to be able to go check this out, but I don't think they were able to because it turns out that you know they were just there for the day on a cruise ship, and when they looked into it, it appeared to them that this site was going to be about 25 miles from where the cruise was going to port. So they would have to arrange their own transportation to get there and back. And furthermore, it appeared to Patricia that um, there is a big locked fence and gate around this cemetery and that you have to get some special permission to go inside. So I can see why that might be too elaborate uh, to arrange when you're just going to pop in and out for a day on a cruise. It's the sort of thing where you need to fly in and you know spend a few days or a week or something like that to get permission to go inside. So that's one of the weirder stories that I've come across over the years and um, you know it's just par for the course here in Puerto Rico. And you know by the way I'm going to be telling you some more weird stories over the coming days about things that have been happening here in Puerto Rico um, surrounding this hurricane but if you have any thoughts on what the heck might be happening in the chase vault in barbados or at the very least what did happen you know i'd love to hear about it all you have to do is go to joshuapwarren.com scroll down to the bottom of the home page there and you will find my email address and then of course at the top of the page i hope that you will click the link to learn about my big event that i am hosting in las vegas this may it's a good one, and tickets are selling fast, and there's a good chance after I go on Coast to Coast AM this Friday, all of them may be gone, because I only have 100 spaces for this event. So you'll want to check that out. There's also a link to my podcast. It's called Joshua P. Warren Daily. 
I do my best to record one of these for you on a daily basis, as long as I have my voice and a good internet connection or a good cell phone connection. All three of those things are a little up in the air at this particular time since I'm in Puerto Rico. But uh, the podcast is always free. It's always short. You can subscribe or you can just follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know when a new one is posted. So that's it for now. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.